Uh, welcome to the online community. As we dig into God's word this morning, I want to continue to encourage us every Sunday to really think through and try not to let this become routine. You know, it, it is a routine in a sense, right? We've, we've got Sunday mornings. We, we probably all do kind of the same thing every Sunday morning. We get up, we have our coffee, breakfast, whatever, little family time. We come to celebrate together here, do worship, do a Bible study. In some ways, it's all very routine, but you know what? This is God's word. This is God's word that he spoke and gave to us through the centuries to order our lives, to give us wisdom, to give us power, to give us insight. It's living and active. And so anytime we get together and study God's word together, it's anything but routine. It is a big deal. And so I, I hope that I can portray it well this morning. Um, Chewy was praying for me before the service that I would be quiet and God would speak. So that is certainly always the hope. I truly, I truly believe that when we, preach, when we get together and, and someone preaches from the word, we've got to let the scriptures go out and have their impact. And sure, I'm going to try to lend some insights, things that I've prayed about, things that I feel like God has shown me from the scriptures. I, I give points about how it can relate to us, how we can uh, activate and apply these scriptures to our lives now. I try to give all those things, but more than anything, I just pray and hope that as the word is read and goes out, the Holy Spirit is the one speaking to each one of us and penetrating each one of our hearts and minds. Because the truth is, none of us come here on a Sunday morning with the same mind, right? None of us come here in the same place, facing the same challenges, maybe very similar, maybe totally different, but we're all in a different place and we all need to hear something Maybe the same thing in a little bit of a different way. I don't know all those things, but the Holy Spirit does. So we're going to open to the book of John, the gospel of John. And uh, while you open up there, let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the privilege as your church to gather together. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're honored to worship you because of all you've done. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move freely among us, Lord. For those here that, that know you, that are walking with you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them encouragement, build them up, give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. And for those that are here that maybe don't know you, Lord, but are, are curious, or seeking, or wondering, what is this all about, Lord? I, I ask that you would reveal yourself to people this morning, Lord. To people online, Lord, that they would be encouraged, strengthened, and led in a closer relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I accidentally sent you to the wrong place. We are going to go to the Gospel of John, but first we're going to go to the book of Exodus. So turn back towards the beginning of your Bible. First book of the Bible is Genesis. Second book is Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus 3. Now at this point, 
just to catch us up in the story. Remember, Joseph was in Egypt, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, saved the entire nation, and became the second in command only to Pharaoh himself, right? Helped save the nation. But now, many generations have passed, and the Pharaohs decided, you know what? These Hebrews are growing in number too much. They're kind of dangerous. We don't ever want them to overtake us. But you know what? They would be really good as slaves. Help us build this joint out. So let's just enslave them. And so now God's people, who once upon a time saved Egypt, are now slaves in Egypt and are building up Egypt. And, and um, generations have gone by. And it's been brutal. And it's been difficult. And that's where we enter the story. You know Moses was raised in the palace in Egypt, but then decided, you know what, I, I, I think there's something greater. And it says in Hebrews that, that he chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So Moses is banished, he's out in the wilderness, and you know the story, all of a sudden he's out in the wilderness one day, climbs up a mountain, and there is this bush just burning there, right? This burning bush, but it's not being consumed. So that's where we enter the story. Moses talking to a burning bush. In verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings or concerned with their sufferings. So let's just stop there for a minute, because this is really important. Today, we live in a very spiritual society in many ways. Our culture is very spiritual. Chances are, if you ask most people in your life, do you believe in God, unless they're like a real militant atheist, most of the time someone's going to say, ah, yeah, I guess I believe in God or, or some kind of higher power or greater being or, or something, yeah. But that's not what we see here. You know, that, 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 that's so abstract. That's so weird when people say that. Like, yeah, I believe in a, a higher power of some sort, but what does that mean? We were talking before the message this morning. I, I wasn't sure if there was a word for abstract, but I think we figured it out thanks to Cece and Manuel and Brianna top-notch translators. But, you know, that, that, that idea of, yeah, there's a greater power, but there's a lot of greater powers in this world than us, isn't there? I mean, like, think of a lightning storm. Do you think a bolt of lightning is more powerful than us? It surely is. We can't control it. In a split second, it can crash your house, destroy a tree, kill you. That's a that's a greater power, right? That, that bolt of lightning? or how, how about a tornado? Tornado can just come down and ruin an entire town. It's done so recently. We, we see in the news when this happens, it's a greater power than us. There's nothing we can do about it. Or how about a hurricane or, or an earthquake? All these things are greater powers. But can we pray to these greater powers? Can these greater powers hear us? Can they do anything for us? 
This whole idea of, yeah, I believe in a greater power. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. There's all kinds of greater powers. What we're talking about here is a God here. It says first, he has seen the affliction of his people. He sees. Not only that, he's heard their cries. Our God has heard. Our God hears our cries. And he is aware of their affliction or your translation might say concern. Our God is not just some random higher power out there that's not concerned, not involved, could care less, needs to be appeased by us in some way to care. No, our God sees, our God hears, our God is concerned, our God is involved. So then we look back, look forward in verse, in verse 14. God tells Moses, okay, I've seen, I've heard, and I'm concerned about my people's affliction. And so I want you to go. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and you are going to tell him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. You are going to be my instrument to lead my people out of slavery. Moses was nervous about this. He's like, Lord, who, who am I? Why would you send me? But then he says, Lord, if, if I go, say I go to my people and, and I tell them, uh, hey, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's leading us out of slavery into freedom, into a great land flowing with milk and honey. What if they ask me what your name is? And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am sent me to you. I am? It's a strange name. What does that mean? God, I am. I, I, I am what? You know, because if, if it's some lesser God, you might expect an answer like, I am Zeus, or I am Apollos, or I am Ceres. I am the God of the sun. I am the God of the moon. I am the God of... The oceans. I, if it's a lesser God, you expect an answer to them. I am this one specific thing, but our God is just simply I am. I am the God of everything. I am not a higher power. I am the highest power. I am the only highest power. I am. I was. I always was. I always will be. There was none before me. There will be none after me. Simply, I am. I'm the God of the sun. I'm the God of the oceans. I'm the God of the moon. I'm the God of, I'm the God of everything. I am everything. I am. And this, we see this name of God come, come out to Moses here. And how stunning it must have been. And this became so important in the life of the Jews as, as the nation progressed. They got to the point very soon where they decided, you know what? We can't even say this name. It's too holy, it's too reverent, it's too magnificent, this I am, Yahweh. And so the Jews stopped saying it. They wouldn't say the name of God. It was too holy for them. So they started using other names that were still very holy and very reverent, but slightly different. They decided, we can't say the word Yahweh out loud, but let's, let's call God Adonai, which means Lord or Master or, or, or Elohim. You know, but, but 
Yahweh, that, that name is too magnificent. And so we see this name of God introduced. And we see I am, the great I am, use Moses to lead his people out of slavery. And then we turn to the book of John, fast forward about 1,500 years later. And this time, I am doesn't send someone to lead his people into freedom. I am comes himself to lead his people into freedom. And at this point, let me, let me stop and tell a quick, uh, quick story I think you'll find interesting. Hopefully wake everybody up. I remember hearing this story about this uh, burglar robbing a house. And as he's sneaking around and stealing stuff, he hears, Jesus is watching you. And he's startled and he looks around and there's a parrot there. And it was the parrot saying, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> Stupid parrot. So just to amuse himself, he goes to the parrot and says, what's your name, parrot? Parrot said, Moses, the burglar says, what kind of person would name their parrot Moses? And the parrot replied, the same kind of person that names his Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> okay, sorry, had to try. <laughs> oh, that's why no one laughed. <laughs> Jesus. Now I have to explain the jokes. <laughs> it says, Jesus is watching you. The Rottweiler's name was Jesus. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Let's look at John 8. That had almost nothing to do with my message, all right? Just trying to get a little chuckle. No deep theological insight from that joke. Except you shouldn't rob houses. So here in John 8, John is arguing with some of the Jews. And he's going back and forth about all kinds of things that we're going to get into. But let's go ahead and start here in verse 56. Jesus says to them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am what? What do you mean before Abraham was born, I am? Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself away and went out of the temple. What is Jesus talking about? He just startled everybody in his audience. Before Abraham was born, it literally means before Abraham came into being. Before Abraham even was, I am. I am, the great I am. I am the one who is, who was, who was before all, who is always going to be. I am. And what he was saying was very, very clear. He was comparing himself 
claiming that I am God. I am the same as God the Father. The same God that was speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And Moses said, what's your name? I am that I am. I am. The message wasn't lost because what was their response? Immediately they picked up stones to kill them. They were furious. Remember, this name was too holy. They wouldn't even say the word. They would never use this I am, but yet Jesus used it often. And we're going to look this week and next week at multiple times Jesus says, I am, in the book of John. And you might hear this referred to a lot of times as the seven I am's of Jesus in the book of John. There's actually more, but there's seven very specific things because Jesus then fills in some detail over and over. Here he just simply says, I am, just to give them the message very strong and sternly. But then he uses it in other contexts. He says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the Jews would never say such a thing, but Jesus says it over and over and over and over. And each time he gives some little glimpse into the character of God, into who he is, but not just who he is, but who he is to us, who he is for us. So let's look at that. Let's stay in John 8. Let's turn back to uh, verse 23. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They're having this argument with Jesus about why, who he is and why he's here and what he's trying to do. And he's trying to lay it out as clearly as possible. He's saying, listen, I'm from above. You're from below. Unless you believe I am. So that's all he has to say. And they know what he's talking about. You need to believe I am. And I'm here to free you from your sins. But if you don't, you're going to die in your sins. Verse 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus just keeps repeating it. Unless you believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you're going to see and you're going to believe that I am. Very very powerful context that Jesus continues to repeat to them. And he goes deeper in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We all know that verse, right? That's an often quoted verse. This is one of those verses where we really need to let it not be known to us. 
Pretend like you don't know this verse and just focus in and ask, God, right now, give us a new insight into this verse. I believe God gives us new insights into verse. You ever been in that place where you've read a passage a hundred times before and you're reading it the hundred and first time, hundred and first time, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, read that again. I never noticed this. Huh. God's word is like that, right? God's word is like that. Let this be like that. If you continue in my word, then you are disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've got to continue, right? We've got to continue in God's word. Not just a one-time thing. They said to him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty bold of some of these Jews to be like, how can you say if we continue in your word, we'll be free? We've never even been enslaved. You've got to be slaves before you can be free, which, first of all, at the time, they were actually subject to Rome. So, in a way, they were slaves, maybe mild slaves, but they, they were enslaved at that very moment. But they're still, they just don't get it. How can you say you'll set us free? We're not even slaves. But what was he talking about? He wasn't talking about a physical slavery. He was saying, what about your sin? Are you without sin? Because everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. We like to think that there's some middle ground. You know, our society, our culture, they like to think that there's some kind of middle ground. Like, well, no, I, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe he died for my sins. I'm not going to be a follower of Jesus. And no, I can control, you know, I'm not really a bad person. Pretty good. Sure, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I might bend the truth a little bit and lie. Maybe, maybe I cheat on my taxes, but I mean, who's that really hurting? You know, yeah, sure, maybe sometimes I get mad in traffic and, you know, flip off the guy that cut me off, but oh, who's that really hurting? No big deal. People think there's some kind of middle ground, but there's not. It's either you're a slave to sin or you've been set free to sin. There's no middle ground. Like the great poet Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Jesus tells him, you're, you're slaves to your sin. And then he goes on and continues and says, listen, look at everything I'm doing. I'm doing all the things that are by nature my Father's will. I'm doing the will of my Father. All the works you see me doing, all the words you hear me preaching, these are the things that are the will of my Father. And he says, you're doing the will of your Father. And they think he's talking about Abraham. And they're like, well, Abraham's our father. He's like, no, no. If Abraham was your father, God is Abraham's father. You would see me and love me and believe me. But you don't. So you're actually doing the work of your true father. And they're like, well, God's our only father. He's like, no. If God was your father, you would see me and love me and believe me. God's not your father. I do the work of God. You're doing the work of your father, the devil. How much do you think that ticked off the juice? <laughs> How infuriating would that be, right? <laughs> Wait, what? And that's when they got into this whole thing about 
Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. You're not even 50. You haven't seen Abraham. He lived thousands of years ago. Before Abraham was, I am. What was he saying to them? Like, it's odd he talks to them this way about their sin nature and serving their father, the devil. And when you realize, you know, I think a lot of people think they're going to have some kind of excuse. And maybe you've used this before, like, oh, the devil made me do it. But you know what? None of us are born Christians. Have you ever talk to someone and you're like, are you a Christian? And they give some kind of answer like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I was, I was born in America. Yeah, I'm a Christian. You're not born a Christian. It doesn't matter where you were born. Oh, yeah, I'm, of course I'm a Christian. I was born in Florida. I'm in the Bible Belt. That, no, that doesn't, doesn't work that way. You're born with a sin nature. Your nature is to sin. Your father is the devil. Every one of us can sin perfectly fine without any help from the devil at all. It's in our nature. We've been born with that sin nature. The great I am has come to set us free from that nature. How? By giving us a whole new nature. By giving us a brand new nature. Getting away from that sin nature. Paul wrote in Romans, you are no longer slaves to sin, but now you have been made slaves to righteousness. Let's turn back to John 6. I better hustle up if I'm going to get through this. We're going to see the first of what people refer to as the seven I am's of Jesus. And again, there are multiple more, but these seven specifically people talk about a lot. In John 6, we'll start in verse 30. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? So Jesus is preaching and the people are like, do you have a sign? We really like signs. It would be a lot easier if you just gave us a sign. Now, what's odd is he had already been giving a lot of signs. But you know, the thing about signs is they're just, they're never enough. If, if you don't come to the place where you really trust and believe Jesus, and you're always requiring a sign, it's just never going to be enough. You're always going to want more and more and more. Jesus said, you know, you have seen me and believe, that's great, but blessed are those who don't see me and believe. It's referring to us. But so they ask him for this sign. And then they refer back to this story in Exodus with Moses, and they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us that bread. That sounds great. Jesus said to them, I am. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. You know that, that thing that you wake up in the morning? Think about how long is it from the time you wake up in the morning till you start thinking about desiring, craving, what am I going to have for breakfast? 
How long is it? Maybe some of us wait. Maybe you skip breakfast, okay? Some of us skip breakfast. How long is it before you're thinking, all right, what about lunch? What about lunch? You know, why? Because we need that bread. We need food to, to sustain our bodies, to sustain our lives, right? Jesus says, wait a minute, I'm talking about a different bread. I'm talking about a bread that gives you life, eternal life. When you eat this bread, you'll never be hungry. You'll never thirst. I am the bread of life. There's a story right after this in John 7. There's a great feast, the, the feast of, of um, tabernacles or booths it's referred to. It's why we do our camping trip, really. You know, so every year the Jews would go and they would basically go on a camping trip for a week. And that whole week would just be a week of studying the Torah, talking about God, praying, rituals, traditions, all these things. And this story goes, on the very last day of the feast, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up in the midst of all the people. Now again, they've had a week of religious camping, a week of discussions and Torah and singing and all these things. On the last day, Jesus gets up and says, is anyone still thirsty? Come to me. You've heard all the religious stuff, but are you still thirsty? It's not just about that. You need to have springs of living water. Come to me. I am the living water. Those who drink of this water will have like springs of living water flowing within them. In Matthew 4, remember the story. Jesus is out in the desert and he's being tempted by the devil. The devil tempts him to turn the stones into bread. He's been fasting for 40 days. He's vulnerable. He's got to be hungry, right? And what did Jesus say? Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't know how many of you just fasted a couple weeks ago when, when we did the fast. I did. I don't really enjoy fasting, but I know it's important. I really struggled through it. But it's the hard thing for me when I fast is like when I'm not fasting, I can be focused, get through my day till about lunchtime. And then I just think for a minute, decide what to eat and go eat. But when I'm fasting, <laughs> I start thinking about nine o'clock in the morning. What could I eat if I were eating? <laughs> what? I wonder if I could eat, where would I go? And I just, I get so distracted, man. I'm just thinking about what would I eat if I could? So distracting, but you, you know, you, you push through that. But how many of us get to that place with God's word? Maybe you're there right now. Do we go hours without ever getting a craving for a little taste of God's word? Do we go days? Maybe just wait till Sunday morning. I'll get some of it then. Or are we, like Jesus said, hungering and thirsting? We don't just live on lunch, but on God's word. Can God be that involved in our life? Can we get to the place where when we wake up in the morning, around the same time we start thinking about what am I going to have for breakfast, we're also thinking, God, what do you have for my day? God, lead me in my day today. All right, if there's something you want to happen some meeting, whatever, I'm trusting in you. What do you have for my day today? Jesus later said, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He's the bread of life. He promises to be the bread of life. As we continue in John 6, we won't read it right now, but starting in verse 41, he repeats this three more times. He says, I am. I am. Every time you read in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and you see Jesus, let that start hitting you every time you see Jesus say, I am. In verse 41, he says, I am the bread. Then he says, I am the bread of life. Then he says, I am the living bread that gives eternal life. And then he goes into this discussion about, and that bread is my flesh. And I've come to destroy my flesh. And unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And his, even his disciples were like, whoa, what does that mean? That's pretty strange. But what was he talking about? Listen, my body is going to be broken for you. My body is going to hang on a cross. I'm going to receive the punishment for the sins of the world for this generation, for generations past and generations future. Why? Because I am. Only I am could do that. Let's turn back to John 8. The second I am of the seven we see in John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. You ever have to walk in the dark? Really can't see anything? You stub your toe really hard? Trip and fall against the wall? Maybe knock a hole in the wall? I've done that. It's hard walking in the dark, right? But Jesus isn't just talking about, I'll give you light so that you can see. Although it's interesting in Revelations, it says, you know, in heaven, there won't need be any need for the sun because heaven will be illuminated by Jesus himself. So he is the physical light that helps us see. But what is he talking about here? More than that, I'm going to be the light so that you don't have to walk in spiritual darkness, so that you don't have to walk in sin. You will have my light. In John 1, we read it this way. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There, um, I'm sorry, verse 4. I'll pause and let the translator catch up. There was the true light which came, which coming into the world enlightens every man. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the one that helps you see, not just what's around you, but see spiritually so that you're not walking in darkness. And we see this repeated over and over and over throughout the, nest, the New Testament. In fact, we're told when we believe and we start following him, we become sons and daughters of light. Paul wrote in Ephesians that we should be like children of light, children of the light, the I am that is the light of the world. Let's look at the third one in John 10. 
So we've seen now, I am the bread of, the li- of, the bread of life. I am the light of the world. In John 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Twice he repeats it. I am the door of the sheep. The next verse he says it again. I am the door. So now here we see the third I am. I am the door. You know what? The sheep are in the gate. They're not just going to follow a stranger. There are thieves and robbers that try to come in and take the sheep another way. But I am the door. I am the one that leads the sheep. I am the way the sheep can get out, can find new pasture, can find green pasture, can come back in to safe, to safety. I am the door. We see this same concept that we talked about earlier with Moses, this close relationship, this intimate relationship. What did it say there? His sheep, they learn his voice, right? The sheep know his voice. They hear his voice and they listen. They trust his voice. They know that, okay, that voice is going to lead me to something good. When I listen to that voice, I've learned that voice. When I trust that voice, it leads me to the bread of life, the living water, to light, Okay, I've learned that voice. I've trusted that voice. I'm following that voice, the sheep and the shepherd, this relationship. It's our relationship with our God. Continuing on from there, in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. There was the fourth one. Did you see it? This is the last one we're going to get through. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Funny story to uh, illustrate this. This isn't isn't a joke, real real story. But uh, we have chickens, probably most of you know that. We've got any given time between about nine and a dozen uh, gainas. A few times we've lost a couple to the fox, 
A couple times we've lost a couple to Anna and Manuel. Uh, but we get more and we keep our, our Gaina supplied. And uh, there was one day, we have a lot of predators for our Gainas. You know, there's a family of fox that literally roams around our neighborhood. They actually had little fox puppies in Hannah and Eric's culvert, which is about a block from us. So we even knew where the foxes lived. And they're so cute, you know, but until they come for our chickens. And there was one day about, I don't know, two years ago, we were in the kitchen and we look out the window, middle of the day, this big fat fox is in our chicken yard chasing around our chickens. Tirsa is the first one that noticed it. And she jumped into action. A fox, a fox, a fox. Opened the window, started screaming. I run out there barefooted and just run out to the chicken yard. Ah, ah, by this time the fox is splitting. It did not get one of our chickens. But it ran up the hill and it's going along this ridge up above our hill. And I pick up this rock. It's a good sized rock. This is the best throw of my life. And my kids saw it. They'll verify. This must have been 50 yards away at least. Wouldn't you say Malachi? 50 yards away up the hill. The fox is roaming across the ridge. I picked the spot, let it go. Sure enough, the fox, the rock, boom, I nailed it. Fox split. Didn't get a chicken that day. Did not come back for another chicken for some time. About two, maybe three months later, I'm driving home. It's, it's nighttime. It's dark. And I, I get to my street, and I see this fat, plump fox walking down the street with a chicken hanging out of its mouth. My heart sank. Oh, no, he got one of our chickens. No. I rushed home, looked in. Wait, we still have all of our chicken. That wasn't one of mine. That was one of the neighbor's chickens. All of a sudden, my spirits were lifted. I didn't care. I, I even said, I literally audibly said, all right, enjoy your meal, fox. Why? When, when it was my chickens, I leapt into action. My whole family leapt into action to protect our chickens. When it was the neighbor's chickens, we're like, all right, bon appetit. Jesus is saying, they're my flock. I am the good shepherd. I protect them from the wolves. I'm not like the hired hand or the neighbor that could care less. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the owner. I'm the watcher. I make sure that doesn't happen to them. Jesus then goes on in verse uh, 15. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now this verse is talking about us. There's other sheep that are not of this fold. And I'm going for them. They're going to hear my voice. I'm going to bring them into the fold. And we're going to be one flock with one shepherd. I am the shepherd. See, he said this to a very ethnocentric group of people. The Jews had become 
very ethnocentric, very much like, you know what? We are God's people. And we had suffered from generation to generation. We've been enslaved, but God has always come through. And they kind of just got this mindset like we are so special. And they were. We are God's people. We are so special. But it never entered their mind that God, I am, was a big enough God for more than just one group of people. I am is a big enough God for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for the, for the Americans and the Mexicans and the Guatemalans and the Palestinians and the Africans and the Asians. I am is big enough for all of them. I love that Jesus puts this in there, not just from this fold, but there's other sheep and I'm going for them too and I'm going to bring them all together. That's why I love our church so much. You know, when I describe our church to people and I'm telling people about our church, I always tell them, uh, yeah, our church, we've got a really good flavor. I kind of describe us as like a food. And because we have so many Latinos, I always say, we got good spice in our church. Just come. You know, our worship, really rich. Half in English, half in Spanish. Good spice. Good spice. But we are different. I'm not saying we should be, but we are. I, I have not been to a lot of churches that have the kind of diversity that we have. And I'm not saying anything bad about other churches. It's, it's fine. That's how it is. But there's something special that God is doing in us. I don't know if we see it. I don't know if we appreciate it. But there is something very special that God is doing. I believe very much that there is something special that God is going to use us for. There is some purpose that we are going to be able to do as this spicy church in our community that maybe other churches aren't going to be able to do. Maybe God are going to use another church another way, but I think there's something really special and unique about what God is building here. And I'm glad to be able to build it with you, to participate in all this with you, my brothers and my sisters, and to see this thing grow. Amen. Thank you. I'm not going to finish my notes from here because I think that is a good place to end because I got a good amen. But let's not just let this wash over us. Let's really take a moment today, this afternoon, and really dwell on who I am is. I am that I am. Okay, Lord, but what is that? It's everything. You want some specifics? Here are a few. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Next week we're going to talk about I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And then there's two more I am's that take place between the time Jesus is arrested and while he's on trial, and man, it is dramatic. When Jesus just says the word, I am, dramatic things happen. Like everyone trying to stone him. But now we see the tables turned. We'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for filling in some of these blanks for us, Lord. I know we're only scratching the surface. We're only barely taking a a sip of water out of a fire hydrant, Lord, but as we look at who you are, 
who you are to us, who you are for us. We thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, we don't know exactly what your purposes are for this church, for our church, Lord, but as we walk in the light, as we follow you, God, continue to build whatever that is in us that you have prepared for us, Lord. We want to impact this world, our community, people around us, our neighbors, for you, for your glory. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.